0: My Lord and my God, Profession of Faith by Thomas. You know, there are two things about this gospel that have always stood out for me that have somewhat troubled me. The first is that the risen Jesus retains the wounds of the cross. At first, blush that doesn't sound like a big deal, but when you actually think of it, it is a big deal that he, he holds the wounds of his crucifixion. Why? Why is his body not unwounded in a more glorified state? Is that moving that that when we raise from the dead, that we too will have the wounds of our life? It's a somewhat of a disturbing question to ask. But we have to dive into this text a little bit to really understand what has happened. Because would we recognize, did the disciples, would the disciples recognize Jesus without the wounds? I mean, they the first thing Jesus says, look, look, look at me, it's me. It really is me, I'm the crucified one. And they recognize him and they said, my Lord and my God. Am. In other words, that they recognized Jesus as much by his wounds as by anything else. Now, they are not bleeding wounds, they are transformed wounds. Uh, the resurrection, a uh, transformation takes place. Not just, um, not, uh, we like to think that that God rescued Jesus, but He doesn't. He redeems Jesus through the cross, and He will do the same for us. He will not, in other words, rescue us from our suffering, but He will redeem us through our suffering. And our wounds then will become well, transformed in, in some way, shape, or form. So, so that's what we believe in. My Lord and my God, that that was really Jesus that was risen from the dead. The other part that's disturbing about this gospel, I'll just put that one on hold a second. But the other thing that's disturbing about this sort of gospel is that he appears to those who betrayed him, those who ran away. He, he first appeared to the women who did not run away, and then he appears to the men who her his closest friends and so they walked with him for three years of his life, he knew him intimately in his weakest moment they walked away and that 's not what 's so stunning about this text, as much as what he says now, if you or I uh, had been betrayed by friends or, or loved ones. Our first, cre- first things that are might not be what Jesus said because Jesus' first words are peace be with you. He didn't scold them. He didn't harangue them to say where were you at my weakest moment? How could you have abandoned me? He doesn't question them, grilled them. He says peace be with you and then He gives in the mandate that is our mandate. Go and forgive others. To the extent that you forgive others, their sins will be forgiven. To the extent you retain them, they will be retained. And of course, in doing that, he's saying that I have forgiven you. Because he starts out with peace. I think in there, there is a a model for us. That we are called to be forgivers of others. And to accept, and that's where these two now come together, to accept that we will have wounds. But that our wounds will be transformed. And how they'll be transformed is by, by God's grace of love and divine mercy. That he will always forgive us our sins, and thus the love that others share with us will heal our wounds. But there's more than that. We are called then to forgive to forgive others. Now, I, I think we tend to go to those big sins first, right? Those big whopper sins that somebody has done who, who's hurt us years and years ago and we still haven't let go of it. And we are called to forgive those big ones. Don't get me wrong. The big whoppers, yes, we do. But the ones that we're called to forgive on a daily basis is, is to give those who are closest to us. And this forgiveness can be can be truly transformative if we allow it. Like, for example, um, I did the forgiveness series, but one of the greatest challenges for people is to forgive um, their spouses and their children for being who they are, being imperfect. You know, for forgiving them for all the idiosyncratic behaviors that they have. And yes, even for parents, for children to forgive parents for being, well, imperfect. And what I mean by that is to not just forgive them, as in, like, let it go on occasion, but actually love them maybe even more because of their their idiosyncratic behavior. That one thing that seems to do over and over again, you're like, really? And yes, really, that should be a call for us to forgive them for being who they are, and maybe forgiving ourselves for our own weaknesses and our own wounds. To the extent that we forgive ourselves and each other for the weaknesses and the wounds that we have will be to the extent that those wounds will be transformed. If we continue to poke at the wounds, continue to uh, point them out and irritate the wound, they will not be transformed. They will not go through that transformation of the resurrection that Christ promises us. You see, in the end, in our own resurrection, the Lord promises that will happen to us. But what we do now is we participate in the resurrection ahead of time. We participate in the resurrection when we come to the Eucharist, and we promise to do exactly what Jesus said in today's session, is to forgive the sins of those. Forgive the ordinary weaknesses and idiosyncratic behavior of those who are closest to us. I think if we can perfect that and even celebrate that the fact, ah, oh, yeah, there he goes again. That's my That's my spouse. That's the way he is. I don't just love him despite it. I love him because of it. Because God's grace has allowed me to do that. You see, these two end up coming together. We rely on first and foremost what we celebrate today, God's divine mercy to heal our wounds. And then we participate in the transformation of of those wounds of those around us and allow and love by forgiving one another. So today let us celebrate God's divine mercy, his willingness to always forgive us by forgiving each other and accepting that the only way for our wounds to heal is by forgiveness and love.